Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. This week, guest speaker Steve Weisenberger is preaching a special message on 2 Samuel chapter 7, A Messianic Hope. Good morning, Hollyview. Oh, it is so good to be here. So uh, we've had this date uh, for me to come here, I think for like three months. Uh, and I had it circled in red. I could not wait to come back uh, and worship with you. Where's Caleb? Caleb? Is he here? Dude. Amazing. Amazing. I'm looking back, all right, while he's up here leading and they're rocking out. And they've got this sway going on, the, the brass section. Do you notice that? <laughs> And so, you know, you know the Spirit's moving. Because when I looked back and I looked at all of you, there's this sway going. Yeah. And the rhythm and just the worship to the Lord. Guys, thanks for doing what you are doing here at Hollyview. It is absolutely amazing. And what a great privilege it is for me just to be a part of it in a small way. Joel asked me, he said, you know, it'd be helpful if you shared a little bit about what an RM or a regional minister does. And if I'm totally honest with you, I'm still figuring that out, all right? Um, so leading a church for 20 years and then moving up to here to this region of churches, we've got 30-plus churches in five different uh, states. And normally people describe the regional minister as he's the guy that comes in who's the pastor to pastors. And, and that is true, but that's not all that our RMs do in the North American Baptist Conference. Um, here's how I like to look at it. I'm a tool and a resource to our churches. So we might have a church that comes to me and goes, hey, Steve, um, we, need a, we need a hammer. Can, can you provide for us a hammer? And then I go and I go, yeah, yeah, yeah we, can, we can do that. I can be the hammer that you need. Or, hey, Steve, I need a Phillips screwdriver. Can you come in and maybe be that Phillips screwdriver? Yeah, yeah, I can, I can do that. Or, hey, we need, a, we need a socket wrench. Can you come in and, and maybe do a socket wrench type thing? And yeah, 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 for, for the kingdom, for his glory, absolutely, I will be whatever you need me to be. But there is the occasion where somebody comes to me and goes, hey, we need a jackhammer. And I look in my toolbox and I go, I, I, don't, I don't have a jackhammer. Um, but here's what I can do. I can find you a jackhammer. And I will go and I will serve our churches in that way. Guys, it is an exciting part or time to be a part of our association of churches. Um, to see what God is doing. To see how God is moving. To see God's spirit speaking and changing people's lives for his glory, for his kingdom. To be a part of that in just such a small way is a privilege. 
One of the things that I want to share with you this morning is part of our story. And if you see my wife over here, um, one of the first questions that people have is, why is she in a power chair? And I want us to get there. But I want the text to bring us to that point where I tell that story. So I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. There's a lot of excitement around Hollyview Church, not just here, but in our association of churches. You guys are growing. Money's coming in, which means y'all are given sacrificially, and building is in your horizon. Formation is happening here, and people are growing in Christ. We see it. We're excited for it. We celebrate with you in that. And I know that I'm just touching the surface of what God has done and what God is doing amongst you. And again, I praise God for that. But I'm here to tell you that our enemy is not far off. He would like nothing more than to slightly alter your mindset from what God has done to what you have done. It's so subtle, but it can be so destructive. So my prayer this morning is that if there is any hope placed in the prideful areas of our own hearts, that we would redirect that to a messianic hope solely based on what God has done. And that is what I want to talk to you about this morning. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you would hide the one that gives the message. Father, that you would go forth in power through the proclamation of your word. God, we come as humble, broken people. And our desire is to learn and to grow and to be formed in the likeness of you. So Lord, would you expose the things that just need to be exposed in our hearts? Would you bring to surface the dark areas so that your light can shine upon them? Father, we're so grateful for your movement here in Hollyview. And, and we pray, God, that, that as you continue to work and move and change lives, Father, that this church would become more humble, would become more obedient, would surrender more and more of themselves to the abiding love that you've laid before us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, 2 Samuel, chapter 7. Let me set it up for you. Such a beautiful text. It's been 15 years, 15 hard, long years since 1 Samuel 16, where Samuel anoints David as king as, hey, you are going to take over for Saul. 15 years of being on the run, 15 years of war, 15 years of bloodshed, 15 
years of not having a place to lay his head to call home, 15 long years of leadership battles, relationship struggles, 15 years of not necessarily having food in front of them, 15 long, hard, difficult years. But God has been faithful. God has led David. God has protected David. God has been with David through that entire time. And by the time we get to 2 Samuel chapter 7, David is in his house of cedar. He is now the king. He's got Nathan the prophet that is by his side. He's got the Ark of the Covenant right there with him. And I can just imagine, as he's no longer at war with anybody, it's a time of rest, it's a time of peace. And so maybe David is just sitting back in his lazy boy chair. Maybe he's got his feet up. And he's just reminiscing about all the things that God has done. All the things that have happened in his life. All of the victories. All of the joys and the triumphs. All of the lonely nights on the run with Saul chasing him. And I can just imagine that David and Nathan are just talking about that. And an idea comes to David. Hey, you know what I'm going to do? You know what I want to do? God has been so good. God has been so great. I want to do something for the Lord. I want to build God a house. And in that brief moment, I believe that some pride entered in. And God needed to deal with that. So read with me. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Starting in verse 1. I know you guys have a tradition of standing. This is a longer passage. Remain seated. I want you focused on the words, okay? So read along with me. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given, given him rest, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I was brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince. Over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, 
like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever and I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son and when he commits iniquity I will discipline him with the rod of men with the stripes of the son of men but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. What God has done versus what I have done. This is the question. Do you live your life proclaiming what God has done? Or do you live your life proclaiming what you have done? God is always revealing what he has done. Oh, that we would be a people. That we would be a church that with joy declares what God has done both corporately and individually. There are four things in this passage that God rightfully declares to David, this is what I have done. So if you're a note taker, I encourage you to take out your notes. I'm going to have you write down four words. And it all centers around the text of what God declares that he has done in David's midst. The first word that I want you to write down is presence. Look at verse 7. I have moved with all the people. In other words, God has never left his people. Since the moment that they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, God was present. God was there. God was in their midst. God reminds David, Hey, remember I was with you when I led my people out of Egypt? Remember, I was with you in the wilderness. Remember, I was with you through all of the prophets. Remember, I was with you to the establishment of Saul, to the establishment of now David. And so when Jesus comes onto the scene and he declares that he will never leave us, nor forsake us, he's not saying anything new. He's simply affirming what God has already been doing. That God is with us. That he is present with you and with me. 
so that it is no longer about what I have done. It is about God's presence and the work that he has done and is now doing. And for you and I who are followers with Jesus, all we do is we join him in that work. Here's my hope in this, is that our GPS, a friend of mine coined this term, it's Gift of present sense. In other words, that we are aware of God's presence throughout the entirety of our day. That God is with us. That when we are going into that hard meeting, that when we are going into difficult situations, or maybe even we are on the mountaintop experiencing the joys of all that God has given to us, that we realize and understand and live out of the fact that God is present with us, that he truly is Emmanuel, and that our life reflects that in every aspect of our life, that we would not forget that. How often do we go into that hard meeting, and what do we bring into that meeting? Everything that I have done. My ego, my title, the things that I take comfort in, my accomplishments, and I bring that into the meeting. But what, what would happen? What would happen if all we do is we bring in, we, we check that at the door, and when we go into those meetings, when we go into those relationships that are hard and difficult, say, Lord, this, this is about what you're doing. It has nothing to do with my accomplishments. I, I want you to notice that, you know, that God doesn't... <laughs> Go to David and go, oh, man, you know what? I remember when you uh, took up those stones and you killed Goliath. David, that was so awesome. That was amazing. How'd you do that? David isn't bragging about that either. What, what God is doing is he's putting David in his place. Hey, I am with you. The second word that I want you to write down is purpose. Look at verse 8. I have, here's another I have statement, I have brought you from a sheep herder to a prince. In other words, God is telling David, listen, listen dude, um, I put you in your lane. So, so don't come to me telling me what you are going to do apart from me. I'm the one that brought you and placed you in the place that you are today. From a sheep herder to now a prince. So God has put you in your lane. What is that? What is the lane that God has given to you? Now, certainly, we know and understand from Matthew 28, go and make disciples. That, that is something that we all do. We're all a part of that. That is part of our purpose. That's not just Joel's purpose or the staff of Hollyview. It's all of us as followers of Jesus that we are a part of that. Romans 12.6 declares that we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. That God has gifted you for his purpose, for his kingdom, and he has given you a lane. Now that lane is going to be different than the person sitting next to you. That lane is going to be different than my lane. That lane was created for you 
and how God desires to use you, change you, and mold you to become more like him so that your gift could be used for his kingdom and glory. The third I have statement is in verse 9. Write this word down, protection. God says, I have cut off your enemies. This is couched around the language of rest. So in Ephesians chapter 1, we understand that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Jesus declares, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That protection doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. We certainly see this in David's life further on and his sin with Bathsheba, his relationship with his sons, very difficult, hard. Kingdom starts to fracture. But in Christ, there is rest. There is peace. There is joy in our midst. Friends, we get to experience that every single day in the midst of the hard and the difficult and the things that are weighty. That with our Savior, in His presence, being in Christ, there is that rest that God is talking to David about. The last one is not an I have, but an I will statement. God says, I will appoint a place for my people. That's the word I want you to write down is, is place. So in other words, I will make a house. God will do the work. God will orchestrate it. God will make it happen. I love the fact that this continues on to this very day. Where Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 3.16. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. The, the God created that place where he now resides, where he now dwells, which for Christ followers, it's, it's in you. This is how Christ is present with us every moment of every day. So presence, purpose, protection, and place all continue to this day because of God's covenant with David. This covenant, guys, it oozes with messianic hope. This was a foreshadow of the new covenant. And because of Jesus, you and I experience his presence, his purpose, his protection, and the place which he now resides which is in your heart. About 30 years ago, Rosalind started feeling these weird sensations in her leg. So she went to the doctor and she was like, you know, there's something going on that's just not normal. So the doctor checked her out and didn't seem all that concerned about it and said, listen, here's the deal. It could be some nerve stuff. It could be some circulation stuff. We really don't know unless we do some pretty heavy-duty tests, and, and we're not at that point that we're ready to do that. So go home, and let's just see if it gets any 
worse. Well, it got worse. About six months later, that numb, that numb, that tingling feeling in her legs started kind of rising up to the hip area. And, and I could tell that her gait was just a little bit off. Nobody else could tell, but just the way that she walked was, it was just a little off. And uh, so we went back into the doctors, and the doctor said, okay, let's, let's start doing some tests so we can figure out what is going on here. But again, the doctor wasn't all that concerned, wasn't, you know, we really didn't think much of it. You know, within a week, we were kind of like, okay, well, when's the next test? And, you know, it, it, it wasn't really on our minds. And so in the meantime, I'm just doing my ministry stuff. And it was a particularly hard season in my life. Uh, our kids were early grade school. Um, I was in the middle of my MDiv studies, and so I would go to school on Saturdays, and then I would do my job. I was a, at the time I was a youth pastor uh, at the church, and and God blessed our youth ministry. Um, I mean, we we exploded, and it became the it youth ministry in town. And so we our, our youth ministry was was almost double the size of our church, um, and so it. As awesome as it was, it, it created some, some good problems and logistics that we were trying to figure out, and therefore it was, it was, taking, uh, it was taking time and, and, and energy and, and thought. All, in the mean, all, all the while, I'm trying to be home for you know, my kids' bedtime, and I'm, I'm trying to crank out papers. And um, I, Quite frankly, guys, I was just I was spent. It was all good stuff. It was, I mean, th- there were... There were people that were calling our church and saying, hey, we're noticing what's happening here at your church in terms of youth ministry. Would you come and maybe speak to our youth people and and maybe share the the formula that you've got? Because we want it. Well, the reality was there was no formula. I didn't know what was going on. We were just trying to love kids, you know, and kids were coming to Christ. I mean, it it was amazing. It was awesome. But I was exhausted. I was tired. I could tell even within my soul. Nobody else could really tell, but, um, you know, I was, I'd get short. I'd get frustrated easily. I, you know, things didn't go right. If a meeting didn't go well, you know, there was just something in my attitude that just wasn't, it just was not great. So Rosalind had done all of her tests, and again, there wasn't high concern or anything like that. And I, um, I was in San Francisco with our junior hires uh, on a mission trip in the inner city. And we were, we were in some like big warehouse and we were putting together these, these boxes for homeless people and, um, you know, packing them and stuff. So I, I had junior hires all over the place and um, it, was a, it was a great Great ministry, great event. And in the middle of that, we're in the warehouse, and I got a phone call. And it was from Rosalind. And I could tell something was not right. Um, she was, her voice was quivering. She was crying. And um, I said, hon, what, what, what's wrong? I immediately thought of the kids. Like, did, did something happen? Like, and she said, no. Um, 
And she said to me, she said, Steve, the doctors diagnosed that I have multiple sclerosis. We, we had just watched a documentary on Annette Funicello, if you remember who she was, one of the original Mouseketeers who had MS. Um, it was not pretty. The visual of Annette Funicello with her um, spasms, uh, you could tell that it was painful, that she was in a world of hurt. And so I just immediately went there in my head of that image of Annette and going, oh, okay, so what I'm hearing from my wife is that this is our future. I was ticked. I was angry. In the darkest part of my soul, I immediately went to, but God, this is what I've done. Do, do you not understand the sacrifices that I've made? Do you not understand all of the good that I have done? There's this little junior hire. Her name was Ashley. Ashley was off to the side. I didn't even know she was there while I was on the phone. and She could tell that something was wrong. I hung up from Roz and told her I'd be home as soon as I possibly could. Um, and uh, hang up the phone. And I'm just having this fight and wrestle with God. Pretty much just laying it out there. God, this is what I have done. Not even a clue in terms of what God was doing. That was the furthest thing from my mind. And God brought me back to him in just an instant through this junior hire. Ashley comes over to me. and She says, Steve, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? I said, well, Ashley, um, I just found out that, that my wife has MS and there's, there's no cure for this disease. And tears start welling up in her eyes. And she looks at me and she says, Steve, my mom has MS. It's going to be okay. And she comes up to me and she, she just hugs me. I can still feel that hug. It, it, was a, it was the hug of God saying to me, Steve, my presence is with you in this. I have a purpose in this. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you rest in this. And my place is with you and your wife in the midst of this. This is the greatest hug I've ever had. God used this junior high girl to open my eyes. Now, again, it, it wasn't like instant but it was that beginning of God exposing the pride in my life where all I was faced with, what am I going to put my hope in? Am I going to put my hope in, in me and my accomplishments? Like, really? 
They don't stand up to anything. Or am I going to put my hope in what Christ is doing in my midst? And I'm standing here as a testimony to you that after a couple of years of praying for healing and having the elders lay hands over Rosalind, praying for healing, we, we don't, it, and it's not that we don't believe that God can't heal. Absolutely, he can heal in an instant. But we have realized that God has used this for his kingdom and glory far beyond all that we could have ever imagined or thought. God has held true to his promises. God has been there. And God has used it to the point now where we don't pray for healing. We just simply pray, Lord, how do you want to use this? How do you want to use us today for your kingdom and glory? Where we're not trying to create work and busyness, but rather, Lord, what is the work that you are already doing so that we can just simply join you in that work? David goes through a transformation as well, and I want to show this to you. Verse 18, I'm going to read down to the rest of the um, uh, chapter here. He asks three questions, and I think these questions are what you and I should be asking ourselves as well. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, I love this, who am I? Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet, this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also to your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. In other words, this is instruction for all of us. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart. You have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our eyes. And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem, to be his people, making himself a name, and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people, Israel, to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken, and your name will be magnified forever, saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you, for you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house, therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O oh Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. 
Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Three questions. Number one is, who am I? This is a question of humility. Who am I, O Lord, in comparison to you? I encourage you to wrestle with that this week. Question number two, David says, what more can I say to you? In other words, this is a question of surrender. This is our theme as a region of churches. Oh, that we would be a region that surrenders all that I have, all that I am before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. David is wrestling with this. What more can I say to you? The, qu- the answer is nothing. Nothing. We need to be a people that surrenders our wills, our hope found in ourself. We need to confess that and allow God to slowly transform us to place 100% of our hope in Christ and his work. The third question is this, who is like your people Israel? This is an abiding question. In other words, we are connected to the vine in John 15. This is what makes us unique. This is us in Christ. Who is like your people Israel? God has drawn us to himself. And we have this precious gift of life to proclaim and herald his name with the life that he has given to us. I love the words of Job, a dude that went through some pretty hard times. Listen to where he finally puts his hope. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. This awaits all of us who are in Christ. Guys, in a moment, we're going to take this meal. And there is so much hope in the meal that we are about to share together. Please do not come to the table with any hope in and of yourself. Rather, come to the table with confidence in what Christ has done and the hope that lies within our Savior. Let's pray. Father, you alone are good. And it's out of your goodness that we desire to live. It's out of your goodness that we get our purpose. It's out of your goodness, Father, where all of the blessings reside. And I pray, Lord, for Hollyview Church, God, that they would not put any hope in attendance, in money, in building, in ministry, but God, that all of their hope would be placed in the work that you are doing in their midst, drawing people to yourself. Oh Lord, that there would be heart change, that there would be people that are lost who become found in you as a result of this humble little church called Hollyview. Lord, thank you for your presence and all that you are doing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212, between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.